I am desperate for power. <laughs> you could restore it all. Welcome to BackupCentral.com's Restore It All podcast. This is your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I'm the chief technologist at Druva. My co-host has 15 years of technical experience in the storage industry, and we're lucky to have him as Druva's director of product architecture. I'm super excited to have him on the podcast, Prasanna Maliandi. Great to be here, Curtis. Happy to have you. Speaking of Druva, we should state the opinions you hear on the broadcast are our own. Let's get started. Today, we're talking about the all-important, all-encompassing concept of ransomware. Do you think this is something people should be scared about? Oh, totally. Have you seen how many places have been affected recently? How many companies have shut down? Yeah, and it's it, prevalent everywhere, right? It's a little crazy, actually. I think that this is the next big thing. It's the big thing. Take out the word next. There was a time when ransomware was simply them hacking people's laptops. A friend of my father's got his laptop affected with ransomware and and it was 400 it was like 450 bucks or something was the standard ransom and it was because it was the most you could buy in bitcoin without an account or something like that. <laughs> how what how that that got picked, but they very quickly figured out that the data centers are the ones with deep pockets or the, more specifically the companies behind it is the data centers. For sure. And so there are way too many examples of data centers of companies. You talked about hospitals. There's been hospitals. There's been governments, uh, you know, city and county governments. I think recently Baltimore was actually just attacked with ransomware. Baltimore has been attacked twice with ransomware. And I read an article, one of the bloggers that I follow talked about that what the second attack showed was that they didn't learn from the first attack. And, and that's the repeated attack thing is also one of the reasons that you don't pay ransom, right? So, let, <clears throat> so let's like talk. like hostage negotiation, kind of. Yeah, what's that? It's like kind of like hostage negotiation, right? You pay. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, it's funny. I, I was speaking to an audience yesterday and I said, finish the sentence. You don't negotiate with. Terrorists. Exactly. Everybody knows that because you don't want to embolden the terrorists. You also have the same problem, especially the problem with ransoms. So the term ransomware comes from the idea of ransoms. Once you kidnap somebody and then you someone pays that ransom, the same is true with a blackmail. If you pay a blackmailer, there's nothing that stops that blackmailer from coming back multiple times. The same is true with ransomware. The reason I think that ransomware has become so prevalent now is the ease with which you can do it electronically. You being the bad person don't have to leave your house. And you know the back end of that is because of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, they can get paid without getting caught. Theoretically, some people have gotten caught. Did you know that there are, there are RAS vendors? Ransomware as a service? Ransomware as a service. I'm not surprised. Yeah. All you need is an IP address of a company you want to target. You sign up with Bitcoin and you pay for how many companies you want to target. And then boom. And then the ransomware as a service vendor just takes a percentage of the cut. Crazy. <sighs> this is just so depressing, right? <laughs> so there are lots of reasons why it's become prominent. So let's talk about what happens 
when you get a ransomware attack. So usually what happens, bad actor gets into your network, right? Say it's your data center, they start encrypting all your files, right? So now you have access to none of your data. If this was a hospital, it's all your patient records might be encrypted now. So if I'm a provider, how do I service my patient? Talk about hospitals. Again, I read another article and it talked about um, how sadly a lot of the systems that they have are like embedded systems that use really old versions of you know, Windows and things like that. So that that's another reason, I think, is that, that, that there's a lot of these older versions that, that yeah. people hack. So they get notified that your data has been... Encrypted. Yeah. And if you want yeah. to, if you want your data back in 24 hours, pay this amount of Bitcoin to me and I will send you a key to unencrypt your data. Right. And what happens when I pay? Do I get, do I get my data back? Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I know there have been investigations in the past where they're like, even the person who encrypted it has no access to your data. So they just take your Bitcoin, they disappear, and you're stuck with encrypted data still. That's got to hurt. But you know that happens, right? So I guess when I first started hearing about ransomware and when I first started hearing that they were going to go after businesses, I said, oh, well, this is not going to work because businesses have backup. So why is it working? Why? What? If businesses, you backup, businesses have backup, I Curtis. do assume that I've spent an entire career. Well, actually, I spent a career helping them, you know, fixing it because they thought they had backup. But you know, sometimes they didn't. But well, sometimes, right? A customer thinks when they have backups, they'll just restore files or whatever else. They're not necessarily prepared for what happens when I have a ransomware attack. Yeah. So if you attack critical systems and you basically lock me out of the system itself, not just that I can't access customer records or patient records like you talked about, but I can't even access the patient record system. The patient record system is down because you knew enough to hack the particular servers. So maybe they have a backup. This is what I'm, uh, I've seen in some of the instances is that they have a backup, but they look at, they know that they're <laughs> from a DR perspective, their backup is not very helpful. It, their RTO it would be days or maybe even weeks. And so they think that paying the ransom would be quicker. Or they might have forgotten to back up a crucial system and they thought they were fine. And by the way, I can't actually restore my data until I get that one system back in. So let's talk about backup systems. So many companies are using an on-premises backup system based on the same operating system that is being attacked, right? Which sadly is, you know, continues to be Windows. It's not that Windows is evil, it's just it's popular enough that People are attacking it pretty regularly. And there are instances, I've read them in other uh, websites, there are instances of customers who have had their backup data encrypted. So not only have they attacked your primary system, they attacked the backup of your primary system. So you're left with nothing. You're left with nothing. How do you protect against that? I think the best way, right, is keep a copy offsite, keep something that isn't on-premises, that isn't exposed all the time to, say, ransomware attacks. Yeah, it all comes back, once again, back to the three, two, one <laughs> rule, people. I'm gonna, I, I don't think know you need that tattooed on your forehead yeah, for this. Yeah, I, I, I think this is, <laughs> we should just call this podcast a three, two, one podcast, right? Three <laughs> copies of your data on two different pieces of media, at least, and at least one of which is off-site protected in some, you know, we, we, we use the term air gap. It comes from the olden days where you literally had a gap of air between the backup and the, the thing that was being backed up. This was traditionally tape. So one thing I would ask is, 
you know, is it possible to have an air gap, right? So we, you know, we both work for Druva and there is, we can't have a physical air gap the way we did back, back in the day, back when I still had brown hair. Was your hair really brown? It was brown. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's one or two pieces left up there. I think I'm gonna go look in the mirror. It was brown and it was, it was lower. Anyway, back in those days when we had tape, uh, we could do a, an actual, and we could actually put armed guards between you and the tape. And then we would, of course, we would send then, it off site. And- well, we would also do social engineering to yeah. try to get to our tapes to see if, you know, they protect it. Right. But our customer backups are online. So is that air gap? It is because with our service, we ensure that other than our own service running in the cloud, no one else has access to that data. Right. So it's, it's I'm pretty sure different than any other backup vendor. All of the other backup vendors, if you have a cloud version of their product, it's running in your Amazon account which means it's up to your security practices, you configuring the S3 bucket, for example, properly, whereas our service runs in our account and it's automatic configuration. The In the case, we store customer data in S3. So let's talk about how we protect that data. Before we go there, just a quick thing also. On the S3 buckets, you talked about security best practices. Until recently, it was up to the customer to decide, is this a public S3 bucket or not? Right. And there were lots of security there issues been, that you've seen, right? People who had S3 buckets available to the public and storing sensitive data there. And yeah, I think by default, like they just recently oh, changed really? it. I think in the last like two or three weeks. Well, good for them. At least I believe that's the case. I didn't realize that they had done that. Interesting. So at least what it, it, it requires you to have uh, an access account or by, something? You have to be explicit if you want this S3 bucket to be public. Okay. So you have to specifically say, yes, I would like the world to read this data. Okay. So in our case, so not only, I know that not only do, obviously, do we restrict it to certain uh, identities, but you can only write to our customer or read from our customer S3 buckets via our application. That's the way our S3 buckets are configured. That is correct. And our application is only available via via our application. No one else, there's no one else has access. Right. Our S3 buckets are configured so that they can only be written to via our storage nodes. That is correct. Or read from, right? Written to or read from. And of course, the data is also encrypted. AES-256. And we use something called envelope encryption, which we don't have time to go into here, but it's basically, you know, a key encrypted inside a key encrypted inside a key kind of thing. And basically the ultimate thing that allows you to access is your username and password. But this also ensures that we don't have access to customer data. Right. We don't have access to the customer data, which means that some sort of malware also does not have access. There's no way for any kind of application to get in and either read or even worse, corrupt your data. I would be comfortable with calling that an air gap. Oh, for sure. I mean, I would make quotes in the air because it's kind of a virtual (laughs) air gap. There's not really an air gap. But interestingly enough, it's one that's impervious to social engineering. Why? Because there's there is nothing that someone could trick you or I or any other employee of Druva into ga- gaining access to that data, right? There, there's nothing that, that anyone can do to do that. And therefore, to go back to the point of the podcast, that data is protected against ransomware. So that's sort of the first step is having a good backup that is easy to restore. Now, I do think that a large ransomware attack would qualify as a disaster. 
You think that's appropriate to call it that? Yeah. Before you used to think about disasters as natural, like a fire or hurricane or something like that. Yeah. Or a terrorist or a bomb or something. This is just, this is a new thing that needs to be added to the list of things that where you might need to declare a disaster and then to use a DR system. Now I want to do a separate podcast about DR and the different ways to do DR. And I think that you need to prepare. There was a great blog post that I read just the other day about that you should prepare for this in advance. The, 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 the chances of you getting ransomware are high, higher than you getting an earthquake or, well, unless you live, you know, where we live, you're, the, chances, <laughs> the chances of an earthquake are a little higher here, but the chances of you being wiped out by a hurricane or something like that are, are lower, I think, at this point than the chances of a ransomware attack. And so it just kind of goes back to a bit about be prepared. It's have best practices around updating your Windows systems or your systems in general, trying to secure it as best you can, keeping proper backups that are air-gapped or off-site, as well as being prepared for when this does happen, how do you get your data back? And probably even more importantly, actually periodically testing, can I actually restore my data and my environment? Absolutely. Periodic testing is key. One of the phrases I've often said is a backup that has not been tested, uh, you know, is not really a backup. (laughs) And this is not to preclude intrusion detection systems, user education. I've recently learned about a company who's, it's called Know Before. And what they do is social engineering attacks against your people on a regular basis to determine your risk level and to also help educate. It's not like send this to all your people and anybody that clicks on it, fire them. It's not, it's not that it's, or just people need to be more aware, right? Yeah. I know we do annual security training here as required by some of our certifications. And this is about that. So repeatedly just reminding people and showing them the types of things that might get them ransomware. And one of the things, just speaking of that, is in the past, people probably got hit with ransomware, but no one ever really talked about it. It was kind of one of those hidden secrets or private things that you kind of swept under the rug and moved on. Now it is getting out there more in the open. I'm not sure, is there legislation on declaring when you do get hit with ransomware, you have to If you have customer data, you probably would have to. There are multiple laws, everything from the GDPR to there's been a customer notification law in California since 2005 that basically said if if your data has been compromised and it's customer data, you have to notify. If you don't notify your customers in a reasonable amount of time, then you have to notify the news media. There's probably a customer notification there that, that would need to happen. I was just thinking more like it is getting out there more. People are talking about it right, more. Right, right. Right. So um, it is something that is getting out there. So you want to be on the forefront of this stuff and understand what it is and how to protect yourself. Last week, I went to a security conference and I saw Kevin Mitnick speak. And I watched him do live social engineering hacking. Of the audience? No, of of people outside the audience. Like, like electronically, he was hacking people on the other side of the planet. It was scary the ways in which he was able to tweak normal everyday things to leverage it to attack you. And I mean, everything from physical things like he showed a iPhone charging cable that was a hacking device that if you plugged it into your USB, it could control your laptop. One reason I never plug my phone in anywhere other than a power adapter that I own or that's it. Well, good for you, Prasanna. (laughs) I am sometimes a little desperate for power. 
that's that's that'll be the line for the podcast is i am desperate for power (laughs) (laughs) step number one make sure you have a solid air-gapped backup i'm going to say that's step number one and you know hey that's what i've spent my life doing but step two is intrusion detection systems and user education and then just a layered defense right be prepared and do all these steps that are needed all right well thanks again for listening to restore it all this has been your host, W. Curtis Preston, and my co-host, Prasanna Maliandi. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear more about restoring it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had chance to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a file but i deleted it too bad your backup system isn't worth the space It'll be completely done